Hello, and welcome to In Conversation With, a podcast from the Lancet Infectious Diseases. It is July 2022, and I'm Liam Messin. This month, I'm joined by Dr. Ben Cowling, Chair Professor of Epidemiology, School of Public Health, the University of Hong Kong, whose new study on vaccine effectiveness against COVID-19 in Hong Kong has been published online on thelancet.com. I started by asking him to bring us up to speed on the COVID-19 pandemic in Hong Kong. Yeah, Hong Kong is a is a city state on the southern coast of China. And like the rest of China in Hong Kong, we've had a elimination strategy since the beginning of the pandemic, uh, sometimes called a zero COVID strategy, and then recently rebranded as dynamic zero COVID to clarify that zero is 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 not likely to be sustainable in the long term. But what we can do is try to minimize infections. And we did pretty well in the first two years of the pandemic in Hong Kong. We had in total probably less than two cases for every 1,000 people in Hong Kong. And we, we do a lot of testing. So really, that's a minimal level of, of instance, well below 1% of people getting COVID in the first two years. But unfortunately, we let Omicron BA2 get into the community earlier this year, and it got established and it spread very, very quickly, actually, despite quite stringent public health measures in Hong Kong, we were not able to stop it. And so we had a large number of infections, more than a million. So that's approaching 20% of the population with a confirmed infection, and obviously many others that were not confirmed. So some estimates have been well above half the population infected with with Omicron BA2 uh, within a very short space of time. And unfortunately, thousands of deaths uh, mainly in unvaccinated older adults. Uh, we've had vaccines available for more than a year. We, we we had vaccines like everywhere else in the world early in 2021. We had the Pfizer vaccine and we also have an inactivated vaccine from China. And uptake overall has been pretty good, except in a segment of the population who are older. And, and there's various reasons. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later. But that's as a consequence of that, having Omicron BA2 in the community, having unvaccinated older people in early 2022, it's, it's been not an ideal situation, I would say. And unfortunately, that that means that the cumulative deaths in Hong Kong are, are now up there with, with some of the highest rates in the world. Uh, whereas six months ago, we were among the lowest in the world. So things have changed pretty fast. Right now, today in Hong Kong, the government is still pursuing a dynamic zero COVID approach, despite having not succeeded in stopping Omicron BA2 earlier this year. So we have stringent quarantine. If 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 you want to come and visit us in Hong Kong, uh, you'd have to go into a hotel for seven days first before you're allowed out. And confirmed cases are still often sent to isolation facilities. Their family members are sometimes sent to quarantine facilities. And there's still public health measures in the community. Universal masking is mandatory um, and schools are operating, but with restrictions in place and so on. So things are not by any means back to normal. And we don't yet have a timeline of when those measures might be going to be relaxed. Uh, at the moment, it looks like we'll, we'll be having those for a while. So we're kind of living with COVID because we have COVID in the community, but we're also living with stringent control measures uh, that that were designed to, to to limit COVID transmission in the community. Thank you. And that, that brings us uh, nicely on uh, to your paper, uh, recently uh, published today, in fact, uh, when this audio goes out uh, in the Lancet Infectious Diseases. Uh, so if you could just take us through um, what you did and uh, what you found out. 
In Hong Kong, we have great sources of data on a variety of things, and we use two of those sources of data for this paper. One of them is the vaccine registry, where anyone who receives a vaccine in Hong Kong is is registered into a, a, a registry, a database. And then also that's linked to data on anyone who actually gets COVID and is confirmed either by PCR. Later on in, in the in the most recent epidemic, there was also use of rapid tests. But for this paper, we focused on the early period when there was an awful lot of PCR testing. And anyone who gets severely ill goes to hospital. It's all confirmed. Whatever happens to them during their hospitalization is also documented very carefully. So we use that data to to imagine that the population of Hong Kong, based on their vaccination status and then following what were the rates of infection in those different groups of people? So in people who'd received different numbers of doses, what was the level of of, of incidence of milder or more serious infections or even deaths? And the, the reason we wanted to look at that is because concerns had been raised about the inactivated vaccines based on early clinical trials that showed maybe the inactivated vaccines from China had 50%, 60%, maybe 70 at most effectiveness against infection. And that concerned people. It concerned people around the world about how well they were actually going to hold up in practice. Um, so we wanted to look, I mean, what was the level of protection they provide, particularly against severe disease? And it was very reassuring. We we found that they were very good in limiting severe disease. So in people above the age of, say, 60, old, older people, if they received two doses of the Pfizer vaccine, or if they received three doses of inactivated vaccine, they were extremely well protected against severe disease. The rates of of severe COVID and the rates of COVID death were extremely low in those groups of people. So two doses of mRNA vaccine or three doses of inactivated vaccine. We, We did also look at just two doses of an inactivated vaccine. And that wasn't quite as good. It was still high in the 80s, but it wasn't as high as you could get if you had that third dose. So that really indicates that the benefit of the third dose for inactivated vaccines. And also, it confirms that these vaccines are are effective. And then for people below the age of 60, I think we, we, we went down to age 18, two doses of either vaccine give a very high level of, of protection against severe COVID. Very, very reassuring. And then the third dose on top of that is, is even better, of course. And certainly our, our results support the, the vaccine policies in Hong Kong and, and elsewhere in, in Asia and in the world where, where these vaccines are being used, particularly the inactivated vaccines. It's consistent with the World Health Organization recommendations that for older people, if they get an activated vaccine, they really should get the third dose. And it's also, it, it supports the evidence for the, the booster effect of the third dose. So I, I think our, our results are maybe one of the first head-to-head comparative studies of inactivated vaccines against mRNA vaccines. I've also seen something about that from, from South America. And I think it's, it's really very reassuring. And it should set the people's minds at rest if they've been worried about the performance of the inactivated vaccines, because our, our estimates show that they work very, very well for, against severe disease. Now, time has obviously passed since you performed the study. How has the COVID-19 situation progressed in Hong Kong? Um, Are we still seeing similar levels of vaccine protection, for instance? So the cutoff for the study that we just published in Lancet Racial Diseases was about the middle of our large community epidemic. That's now come to an end. 
But the cases never went down to zero. And actually, right now, they're rising again. So the epidemic earlier this year was BA2. Right now in Hong Kong, we're having increasing infections with BA2.12.1. And right now, like this this week, we're looking into the data to see if we can have some early evidence on how well the vaccines are doing against 2.12.1 in what I think is going to end up as our sixth wave in Hong Kong. And I can tell you now it is looking fine. Not no concern. But we'll have some numbers, num- numbers soon, because we're, you know, we're, we're proceeding with, with the analysis, and certainly we're, we're reassured that the the vaccine uptake has been increasing uh, in recent months. So that that means that the threat posed by by the current increases in case numbers is is not as grave a threat as as we faced earlier this year when when the epidemic of BA2 started and we had fairly low vaccine coverage in older people. And you're seeing that increased uptake in the elderly, just to confirm, sorry. That's right. So we have increased uptake in, in actually in all age groups. I mean, we, we have third doses being received by, by all age groups, but particularly in older adults, there is quite a, a significant increase in, in the last two months in vaccine uptake. But what we haven't yet reached is a high level of people who've had three doses. Because the the coverage was so low, there's still people going through their, maybe their second now. You know, they had their first a couple of months ago, a month ago. Now they're getting their second. And then in due course, we hope they'll go on and get their third. But we still take a little bit longer to get the three dose coverage up to to the level that we'd like. I was actually to to continue on that point from uh, perhaps the difficulties in getting people up to their third dose. There are discussions of fourth, fifth, and let's be honest, even sixth doses. I mean, is this are we going to be in a situation of annual boosters for everyone? Um, is annual the right timing? What do you see, kind of long term for COVID vaccination? Well, th- th- this is a question that, that is my, one of my personal research interests, actually. In Hong Kong, we are already giving fourth doses to older people who've had three doses. And we're, we're recommending that, the, the government is recommending that at a three-month interval. So they would often have had their two doses. They would have been recommended to get a third dose, hopefully earlier this year. And now they're being recommended to get their fourth dose at uh, three months after their third dose. If that continues with fifth and sixth doses, that would be vaccination four times a year, which I actually feel might be too frequent. But we don't have a lot of data on what the optimal frequency might be. Um, annual might not be frequent enough for older people, depending on how it ends up with, with the COVID circulation. If COVID turns out to be a winter seasonal infection with surges in the winter, then I would imagine like flu, a jab in the autumn would probably be about right. But if COVID circulates year round, there may be a, a, a like a waning of the effectiveness over over a number of months and maybe twice a year would, would be the right timing. So that's something that we can't answer yet because I think COVID hasn't settled down into something that's kind of a post-pandemic pattern. I think we're at the end of the pandemic phase, but we're maybe not yet in the seasonal phase to, to find out whether COVID is going to circulate year-round or primarily in the winter in in uh, temperate locations. And Hong Kong, of course, is is subtropical. We we have flu more than just in the winter. So for Hong Kong, we we may have to have a slightly different consideration than than maybe in the UK or the US or, or elsewhere. If 
if we have COVID year round, but, but you don't, for example. So I, I'm really interested in the question of what's the optimal frequency between doses, because although it seems like every dose is a good thing, maybe there's too much of a good thing in some circumstances. And what one of my research interests for influenza in, in previous years has been the question of blunted responses to repeat vaccination. I actually have two randomized trials ongoing for flu vaccines in Hong Kong to look at this specific question of when you get vaccinated again and again, we do see evidence of a blunted response. It's not not a serious problem and it doesn't seem to affect the effectiveness too much. But with COVID vaccines, I suspect we'd also find a blunting phenomenon. And that means there's a kind of diminishing return. So you could give people four vaccines a year but in practical terms, it, it might be just as good to give vaccines twice a year because of the if there's a blunted response when you keep getting uh, a vaccination again and again and again. And there's a, a, a particular technical issue with COVID vaccines and with flu vaccines called antigenic seniority. There's a phenomenon called original antigenic sin. When, when the strains change, you often get an immune response that, that goes backwards. So for flu vaccines, if you or I get a flu vaccine this year, our immune response would often be not only to the new strain, but also to, to what we've had in the past. And so if you have too many doses of a historical strain, like with the COVID vaccines being the ancestral strain, it's possible that when the strains do get updated in the future, we'd have a kind of a suboptimal response to the new strain because of that, that phenomenon. But that's a technical issue that, that of course, will, will be considered by by vaccine companies and by regulatory agencies. It's a, it's a fascinating area to, to research and it's something that I'm going to continue looking at. Thank you. Um, I do want to just touch a little bit more on talking about strains changing. Um, and you mentioned in your previous answer the idea of COVID perhaps settling down, as you put it. Um, now, we're seeing a pretty steady stream of kind of variants and sub-lineages. Is it that these lineages are always going to become less dangerous over time, as seems to be the case? And... You know, is there a time when our the vaccines we currently have just won't work? Will we need completely kind of de novo vaccines, I suppose, is the answer? Yeah, I, I really hope that won't happen. I think it's unlikely. I think what is most likely to happen is a kind of gradual evolution of of, of strains in the future to get around the immunity that's built up in the population, particularly against infection. But all the immunity that we've built up from vaccines and infections so far will hopefully minimise severe disease, meaning that future strains most likely won't have as much impact, even if there's a lot of infections. And we saw that already with, with for example, BA4, BA5 in, in Europe and in South, uh, South Africa. Uh, I've seen some data from there where, where these latest ones can cause a lot of infections, but it tends to be relatively mild. And my guess is that in the longer term, COVID is going to join the other seasonal coronaviruses that cause generally common colds. They do put some people in hospital and they do sometimes cause very severe disease, but that's the exception rather than the norm. And so we'll have vaccines to prevent them. We have antiviral drugs to, to limit severe disease as well. And I think we'll, we'll have to expect an, a, a continued burden of these infections but not something that, that's so concerning as, as the previous two years of, of the pandemic. So that, that's what I expect is going to happen. But you know, with COVID, it's never too easy to, to make predictions. I mean, I think we thought after Delta that that might be the end of the, the, the pandemic and then Omicron showed up. And, uh, 
you know, I, I, fingers crossed that we, we don't have anything completely out of the blue again. And in your opinion, what do you think are the best steps to either end the pandemic or kind of, I guess, increase this transition to seasonality? I, I think vaccines are absolutely critical and it's really important not only to get a high level of vaccine coverage in our communities, but then to maintain that coverage with booster doses. As we discussed, the optimal timing isn't yet clear. It may end up being annual or twice annual. But I think what, what we will find in the coming year is that people who haven't been recently dosed may not be as well protected and people who who are recently dosed will, will maintain that protection. And then also making sure that, that hospitals and clinics are well stocked with antiviral drugs. We know those are effective. And then also keeping an eye on the situation, having good quality evidence on what the levels of activity are. Because I think in the pandemic, there was a lot of very good data on on the situation. I think in the UK, the REACT study was fantastic, having data on levels of infection in the community and, and levels of immunity based on the antibody testing in the community. And of course, in, in many parts of the world, that's ending. I think in the UK that that's ending. And so we're having to rely on weaker data sources, which are not always easy to interpret. So I, I spoke the other day to my collaborator in, in the US who said they've got no idea whether infections are going up or down in, in their part of the US because the surveillance data is so difficult to interpret. It's not clear who's being tested, why. Sometimes the, the testing frequencies go up or down and it, it's very difficult to know even you know, which direction the epidemic's heading in and, and what strains are circulating and so on. And so I think having good quality surveillance data is, is also really, really important because we don't want to get caught out by a new strain coming in, spreading fast, and then us not, not being ready to perhaps bring back some public health measures. I don't think we're, we're going to have very stringent measures around the world again with lockdowns and school closures and, and all of that. But I think we, we may well find maybe next winter, if COVID returns with a, a, a bigger epidemic, uh, we may see some governments, some cities choosing to bring back some of the public health measures that worked well during the first two years of the pandemic. And right now, we've we got to work out which of those measures would give us the most bang for the buck, which would be like the least disruptive, but have the most benefit. And Masks would would be uh you know one of the measures that that would I think it would be an easy thing for for some mayors for some cities for some counties or, or even some countries to bring back if there was a if there was really a big threat and it was it was decided that we we need to do something we we can't sit back and do nothing but uh, I you know it's, it's still it's, it's not clear what exactly the future holds. And one area that maybe a bit of the future is perhaps a bit uh, clearer are the future research questions you'd like to be asking uh, about COVID. So what's, uh, what's next for your group? What I really want to do is keep track of the practical impact of vaccines, the, the effectiveness of vaccines. So in this study, we looked at how people who'd received two doses did compared to people who hadn't had any vaccination. And that was, you know, that, that was a situation earlier this year. In Hong Kong and also in, in many other parts of the world, more and more people are getting vaccinated. Those who didn't get vaccinated maybe got infected. Some of those who did get vaccinated got infected. And so the picture's getting more and more complex. And I'm thinking ahead to six months from now, a year from now, I think we're going to have to find other ways to monitor how well the vaccines are working because it won't be a simple question anymore of people who've had two doses versus people who've had zero. It's going to be something like, when was your most recent dose? 
how long was that before your previous one? What are the strains circulating and, and figuring out how to actually estimate and then monitor how well vaccines are working? Because that's going to feed into decisions about the timing between doses. We, we need to know how well vaccines are working and what are the, the possibilities for, for different strategies and, and, you know, what, what are the potential impacts of, of those different strategies? So that's one of my big areas of research. I've been doing that for influenza for, for some years already looking at optimal vaccination strategies. And I think for COVID-19, there's a real need to, to get a handle on how well the vaccines are going to continue to work in the context of waning effectiveness, in the context of breakthrough infections, giving boost to some people, but not others, and uh, mixing vaccine types, having, for example, in the UK, a Pfizer vaccine and then a Moderna booster. Is that even better? And in Hong Kong, we have inactivated vaccines. And one of the combinations that we think has been working quite well is is inactivated vaccine followed by uh, the Pfizer vaccine. So you know, many, many questions to work on. And, you know, just just need more time, basically. I That's that's always the issue because COVID's not stopping. And uh, we, we've got a long list of things we'd like to work on and just trying to to get through it and provide evidence that can really be used to, to support policies, not only in Hong Kong, but around the world. You can read Dr. Cowling's research online now on thelancet.com. Thank you, Dr. Cowling, and thank you for listening. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you usually get your podcasts.